sometimes acts of justice are not glorious performative works. They're actually just the mundane, regular, literally putting your hands into the dirt of our world and sifting through the crap, right? Like that that's actually predominantly the work of justice. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora koutou e te o Down to Earth Conversations. Welcome back for another episode. Thanks to all of you who have fed back over the last few episodes. I'm really glad that people are being encouraged and inspired by these conversations. And don't forget, if you're enjoying these episodes, uh, give us a rating on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, But more importantly, share the podcast with your family and friends, or even just your social networks. I've intentionally stayed ad-free with these, so I'm not doing huge marketing pushes, and it really is just the the word of mouth, the advertising that you guys give it, that helps get people listening. So thank you, and I'd love it if you could keep doing it. Today it's my pleasure to talk to Sarah West. Sarah is a young Anglican priest in Auckland, tasked with being a chaplain to young adults. She is active in matters of justice, including attending protests and organising action around issues she cares about. As well as that, she's a fantastic artist. I actually purchased a print of hers recently, and I'll tell you at the end of the episode how you can have a look at some of those. And she's a wife and mum too. We talk about why she became a priest, attending protests, embracing those of other faiths and perspectives, practical ways she's involved in climate justice, intergenerational connection, art and creativity, and a whole lot more. This is episode 38 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Sarah West. Kia ora Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, lovely to be here. Nor here, queer. who are you, where are you from? I am from uh, Tamaki Makoto. I guess uh, if I talk about my tūpuna, though, I'm from England, really. A bit of Swedish in there, <laughs> probably some Scottish as well. Yeah, go the Scots. But yeah, from mostly mostly based in Auckland, yeah. Cool. And you, you have a family? I do. I do. I'm married to the wonderful Brent West. He, We've been married nearly 10 years in December. He's actually next ah, to me, cool. so I'm just looking at him eagerly, hoping that he... Is going to confirm that. Yes, yes, to yes, nice. ten years. Hi, Brent. Yeah. <laughs> Andy says hi. Hi, Andy. He says hi. Um, yep, and we've got two kids. Uh, Lucy is five, and Emerson is seven. On the podcast, I've stayed away from uh, interviewing people who are actually employed by the church, uh, mainly because yeah. the the kind of heart of it is like this is ordinary people doing ordinary stuff, and you don't have to work for the church to be able to do good stuff. Amen. However, you are employed by the church. I am. Uh, and I guess I've been really intrigued watching your journey because it's not necessarily a, a typical uh, journey of someone working in the church. <laughs> what made you want to become a priest? Yeah. Uh, how long have you got for yeah. this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So it's a long story, but I felt the call to ministry in a very humble chapel in Bangkok, Thailand, when I was 18 years old. There's a whole story to that, but yeah. um, <clears throat> basically it's it's long, you know, it goes back. Uh, this is why I connect with Māori, like the, you know, te ao Māori and this idea of connection with your tūpuna because yeah. 
my my dad had a family before us, right? And uh, he was married and had three kids, one on the way, and was a missionary and um, was you know a missionary doctor in Nakhonsawan in Thailand, a rural part of Thailand. And uh, he lost his wife and two kids and the unborn baby in wow. a car accident in in Thailand. Now, the reason this is important is because I felt the call to ministry while sitting in that chapel in Bangkok. And that chapel is right behind where they're buried um, wow. with a whole bunch of others that died in the crash. So my dad survived and my oldest, his oldest son, Matthew, who's my half-brother. Um, and, you know, it's that mysterious connection, isn't it? And I really just felt <clears throat> that I was... I don't know. I, how can I even describe that? Yeah. But that that was the first time I really felt the call to ministry. And I um, cried my eyes out and was pretty angry with God about it. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, I'd grown up through the church, and but I, I'd had some pretty patchy experiences with it, to be honest. Yeah. And and so that was, that was the time, a little bit of time of angst. And are you sure, God, really? But I had no idea that I would be getting into – uh, ordained ministry, like as a yeah. priest, you know, and it was a joke to me. It wasn't even on my radar. So I went into youth ministry. I, I started studying theology at 18, uh, majoring in biblical studies, did that, and then started youth pastoring full-time in the Anglican church. And then it was when I'd had my son, about 18 months after I had my son, that I just felt prompted to by others, can I just add, yeah. <laughs> everyone but me, <laughs> to consider the priesthood. And honestly, the first time someone suggested it, I laughed. Uh, it was some good friends of mine going through discernment uh, for ordination. That's kind of this year-long process where the church walks with you and, and a whole bunch of people pray with you about it and you do all these interviews and have a psych assessment and all this stuff. And they were going through that and they said, hey, have you ever considered discernment for ordination and I just mm. thought that's ridiculous there's no way I <laughs> want to be a priest yeah um and then uh things just kept happening eh like people just kept saying stuff and to me and I just thought okay right this is this is now got to the point where I can't ignore it uh and so I, I sat down with my parents one night and I said to them hey all this stuff's happening can you just can you just put this to bed? Like, can you just tell me this is ridiculous? I was expecting my parents to come back for me. Just be like, yeah, awesome. that's <laughs> you as a priest. Ridiculous. But they didn't. They said, yeah, we've seen this in you for years now. And we agree. Wow. And my mum was like, I would want you to be my priest. And I just mind blown by that. Wow, that's amazing. I, I just thought, Really? But I'm your kid, you know, I'm, you see all the, you see yeah. all the ugly, right? Um, so that was the final straw for me. And so I begrudgingly went to the ministry educator for the diocese and just said, look, I am feeling some stuff, a lot of things, and I need the church to help me figure this out because I'm confused. Yeah. Um, there's a part of me that feels intrigued by this, but I can't, I can't understand it. And so that started my discernment journey and the discernment journey is like five hoops, you know, you got to jump through and you could sort of be let go at any stage. And I just kept getting through these hoops of discernment. Yeah. And finally 
was accepted to train for ordination and honestly I didn't I don't think I really felt fully at peace with it until a few months before my ordination to become a deacon which is you know you're deacon for a year and then a priest after that if you're on the way to sort of priesthood yeah yeah so it was pretty last minute eh, that I really came (laughs) home to it but yeah I remember my ordination feeling like that feeling like coming home to myself cool which was an awesome grace gift and um haven't really looked back but like you say I'm definitely not in the typical vicar sort of pathway (laughs) so just working that out as I go along eh well God's working it out in me you could say yeah right and so I mean you're involved now with um, what you're calling ordinary saints yeah that's Um, right do you want to describe what is that and and where did it come from yeah sure so it has a little bit of backstory as well I when I became ordained, I was a curate, which is sort of a training ordinand person uh, at Holy Trinity Cathedral in Parnell. Um, very typical kind of space to be doing ordained things, you know, yeah. <laughs> funerals, weddings, big services, yeah. lots of liturgical garb, that kind of stuff. Um, and during that time, I, I was shoulder tapped by the bishop, Bishop Ross Bay, and he asked me... Um, to help put together a group of young people who might be concerned about social issues, uh, social justice. And so I said, yep, that's cool. And this was right after the mosque shooting. Um, And so I had been on the news with a a friend of mine, Masuma. uh, And, and so that was, that was when I got shoulder tapped. And so I said, yep, cool. So we pulled together a meeting and, Eventually, this group formed called Adjust, which is Diocese of Auckland Young Anglicans for Social Justice. And that was sort of the beginning of all of this. And that still exists, Adjust. And we, you know, have monthly meetings and do sorts of all sorts of cool stuff. But from that group, there was a hunger for something more. And I think the realization was that you can't do social justice in a vacuum, yeah. you know? And it came from this, this idea of the flow between contemplation and action, you know, that our action has to be informed by something good, has to be informed by something deeper. Otherwise, we just start to act and think we're helping people without that self-observance, you know, where is this coming from? Why am I doing it? Um, Am I listening, you know, to the voices of those that I'm trying to serve? And for me, that's really captured in the spiritual practices of contemplation, and so a bunch of us in Adjust sat down and we had a good conversation about about this and thought, how can we do this? Mm. And so we thought of uh, this concept of, of a diocesan kind of hub for young adults to come together to be formed by four touchstones that we would use to anchor the community. So those are, I've got to test myself now, see <laughs> if I remember them. Uh, formation, action, creativity, and community. Cool. And the idea was that we're not creating a church here. We're actually encouraging young adults to stay in the parishes they are, you know, because often parishes mm. is maybe like two or three young adults, you know, in the Anglican yeah. church. It's, there are some, some churches that have a lot higher number, but for the, for the average everyday Anglican, mm. <laughs> Um, the parishes are pretty small and 
And I quite like that because yeah. real good community happens there. So it wasn't to take away from that. It was actually to build into it. How can we build up our young people to, to act and to engage well in their local context, um, but also come together to be formed well and to engage with contemplative practices that are going to nourish us for the journey of faith. So that's so we put a proposal in to the diocese, um, and it got accepted, and the St John's College Trust Fund <laughs> decided to send some money our way, um, and yeah, so that's how I got my job as a chaplain to ordinary saints and to the uh, chaplain to young adults in the ordinary saints community. Cool. You mentioned being on TV with your friend. Yeah. I'm assuming Muslim. Yes, yes. And, I mean, that's quite a, I guess, a big deal for some people to have a Christian that's a friend with a Muslim. Yep. Uh, in my experience, there aren't heaps of Christians that have Muslim friends. Yeah, sadly not. For you, you know, what's that like, being someone who is prepared to kind of step out of the box and do things a bit differently? For me at the time, it was pretty easy because at the cathedral, there's a really good interfaith focus. So cool. I didn't feel like I was out on my own there at all. There's been some really amazing interfaith work that's been done in the diocese that have led, you know, led by people like Reverend Bruce Keeley and Father Ivica. That you know, they've they've done some really cool stuff. And so I was really standing on the shoulders of giants there. Oh, that's great to hear. But it was it was great to have the opportunity once that stuff happened to really connect with yeah. uh, our Muslim sisters and brothers. And we had a vigil at the cathedral, and I met Masuma and a bunch of her friends and. They plugged me into their mosque in Pakuranga, and that was a really wonderful journey of just, you know, learning from one another, because I think that's what it's all about, really. <laughs> it's about learning and discovering one another in, in really real and authentic ways. And Masuma and I struggled for a bit. We, we did have a lot of people assuming that it was a race to convert one another to right. one another's religion, yeah, which was sure. funny to us, because that was just so far from what our friendship was about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there was definitely that kind of rhetoric going around and had some genuine questions from people asking me why I was friends with her. Yeah. And for me, that was, I couldn't quite fathom it, but I understand that I guess for some Christians, it's a really foreign idea that, that you would be friends with someone and not want to change or convert them. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's just people's understanding of what conversion is really. And, mm. and yeah, that's not something I subscribe to. I think God can handle that if that's something God wants to do. But conversion of the heart is not coercion of people. Totally. And yeah. I just, I think that we're just called to love and that's it, right? So yeah. and that's, and you know, we're so enriched by being friends with people who see the world differently. It's, totally. it's a, it was a conversion for me, you know, yeah. to see the world completely differently. And I love that. Such a gift. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? If you let the fear of the other or the, the fear of difference get in the way of actually listening and learning, you just miss out on so much in life. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that journey took us so many different places we never would have imagined. There's a group that Masuma works with called Who is Hussein, which is a base, basically a humanitarian organization uh, consisting of primarily Muslims and um there, the Auckland chapter for who is Hussein invited us down to Christchurch to, uh, and it wasn't too long after the, the shootings, to go to uh, 
whole variety of places. We went to, not just to mosques, um, including the two mosques that were affected by the shootings, but to you know, a Sikh temple, to a synagogue as well, cool. and to parliament and various other spaces, which was really amazing opportunity to do. And to be honest, that it was transformational. I went yeah. into Al Noor Mosque with Masuma and, and the group that we had, wow. and um, Ivica, who was my colleague at Holy Trinity Cathedral, came too. And we walked into the mosque, and there were people praying and stuff, and there was fresh carpet laid. Um, and it was just, we all just started to cry, you know, wow. because the weight of yeah. our shared humanity being abused like that was just so awful. And yeah, so I, I can't, I'm not, I can't be grateful enough for, for that experience, but also this, this ongoing friendship I have um, with Masuma yeah. and others, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, th- that, that sort of thing would resonate with you anyway, because you seem to have this heart for um, social issues um, and, and a heart for justice. And, um, you know, I've seen, um, I guess, photos of you at different protests or marches or things like that. Mm. Um, what are the issues for you that are closest to your heart? I mean, there are so many. Um, and you sort of feel feel guilty talking about someone as, who's being labelled as someone who's passionate about social justice <laughs> because, you know, we do stand on the shoulders of giants, eh? And there are so many people in my life that inspire me. And, you know, I look at them and think, oh, my goodness, you know, if only I could be, you know, 10% of what you are in terms of your your flame and your passion for these for these issues. But I think for, in the context of adjust, because it's never alone that we do these things, we've been really moved to respond to the things that are sort of cropping up in our world, but also ongoing issues, you know. So the kind of major ones that you can identify at the moment, obviously on the top for young people is climate justice. I think that's huge. And that's been a real um, mainstay for us. But, you know, I think the thing with social justice, you've got to respond and you've got to move with, with the things that are moving people. And it's not just about joining in on the fad. It's about actually keeping a finger on the pulse and realizing, Hey, there's change happening here. There's an opportunity here for us to speak into this, not just as, you know, members of the general population, but as Christians, as people that follow Christ. And, you know, this isn't just about us. This is about who we are as a corporate body, you know, that we care about this stuff and enough is enough. So, I mean, for me personally, you know, I'm very, very passionate about uh, justice for the rainbow community as well. Obviously, you know, the treatment of, of LGBTIQ plus people in, our churches is horrendous. Um, we've got a bad history of that. So that's something I'm really passionate about. But also uh, the Black Lives Matter protests were a big deal um, in, in mobilizing the church at a larger, at a wider level to really respond to that well. Um, of course, we can always do more, can't we? But that has really triggered a good journey for a lot of people in terms of becoming aware of their whiteness as well and, and their privilege. So that's yeah, been good awesome to be a part of and to continue the conversation with people on um yeah but I mean you know it's big we've just done a we've just done a fundraiser for Operation Refugee which has been quite cool um the money went you know goes straight to uh refugees in Jordan and Lebanon um which is another really important 
uh, thing to be involved with. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's just so much. Yeah, <laughs> where yeah, do we totally. where do we begin and where do we end? Right. Totally. And I, I love what you're saying though about this is actually more than about me. You know, this is this is what we as a community are feeling and connecting with. And, yeah. And also the fact that. You know, it's not just a chance for discussion, but it's a chance for mobilisation, you know, mm. to actually do something. Um, looking at your connection, you talked about between the church and justice and, and those sort of things. I've noticed that you, you make a really deliberate uh, statement by wearing your priestly robes. Um, I don't, forgive me, I don't know the words, the, the names right. of them. Um, but, but you go to some of these marches and these protests and things wearing those. You know, what's the connection there for you? What, what statement are you hoping to make through that? Yeah, so the first time I did that was at the Arms Expo in 2018 in Palmerston North. Uh, so <laughs> there's a good story there, actually. I was studying at St. John's College, and a bunch of us went uh, to the chapel at St. John's yeah. and grabbed this Melanesian cross and this cross has been used in the 1981 Springbok tour, so wow. to protest the the tour yeah. itself. So it's got a lot of mana that cross. And so we sort of rocked up with this big van to the chapel, grabbed the cross at 6 a.m., and then gapsed off in a van to this protest. Yeah. And leading up to it, I thought, what are we What are we going to do? You know, like we're, we've got this. We're taking this cross, so let's just bump up the theatrics here. Because I think yep. the thing with protest is that it's it's performance as well, right? Totally. It's it's theatre. Yeah. And for me, that connects with what the Eucharist is or communion, you know, and that's a very Anglican thing to say, but it is. You know, when we get behind the table and when we're dressed up in our in our robes um, or an alb, um, yeah, as the as the term is, and stuff, we are sitting in the we're sitting in Jesus' seat, you know, and we're. We're part yeah, of a right. we're part of a um, drama, uh, and it's more than a reenactment, of course. But that's part of it. And yeah. so, protest for me, there's really strong resonances with Eucharist there. That yeah, cool. we're actually part of a drama, and we're part of a of some of something quite theatrical when we go into protest. And let's be honest: if you go to a protest, you want to get seen. You know, you you hold a sign that draws you know attention to yourself. You take things that get you noticed because that's exactly what you want. You want people to see you there and you want as much attention to the issue as possible. So for me, whipping on a white robe, I couldn't wear a stole at that point because I wasn't ordained, um, but I whipped on an alb, which is something you can wear if you're not ordained. Uh, it's a symbol of baptism. And I wore that. And uh, yeah, it did get a lot of attention, uh, which was great. And I have done that at subsequent protests at a few actually I did that with I've done that for every climate strike I think but there are times when it's not appropriate for example wearing a white robe with a hood to a Black Lives Matter <laughs> protest is not a good idea uh, no, like no. you know that would just be real tone deaf so yeah I just wore my oh, collar to that wow. one um yeah. you know <laughs> so you've got to be you've got to be sensitive to the symbols that you're carrying because symbols yeah, are powerful yeah uh and, you know, there's a time and place for everything. But I think it is a good conversation starter, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think my favourite photo, uh, and it must have been one of the climate gatherings, uh, was you standing there in your robes with a, a sign that said, let us pause for a moment of science. Yeah. And I just thought that was 
genius. Um, <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> I was proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You came up with that? <laughs> I did. I did. And, oh, um, gold. But there were some real goodies. There were some yeah. real goodies with that one. For me, that um, that sign, you know, it really hits particularly at the church. Yeah, you know, it does. Sadly, the church worldwide, particularly the Western church worldwide, have been part of the major problem that's caused the climate crisis. Yes, they have. Uh, theological views of, of um, creation and, and what it means to to subdue it, however they interpret yeah. uh, the, <laughs> the stuff in Genesis 1, yep. um, Genesis 2. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so to go along dressed in a way that's obviously identifiable as Christian and going, actually, let's listen to science. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> like that's actually, I thought that's why I thought it was beautiful is because, I mean, it's obviously the play on words, but it's actually hitting to a real heart of things and going, actually Christians, science is not the enemy. Nah, not at all. Science is of God. Totally. Yeah. I, I just thought it was fantastic to be honest. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good one, and it was it wasn't just a play on words. You're right; it was intentional because I think protest when you're doing it as a you know, for, in my case, as a, as an Anglican, as a Christian, is it's it's also prophetic work, and prophets aren't always liked by the church. Yeah, and that's okay; it's part of the journey. But it does take some courage at times. The last protest, the climate protest, the last one we went to, we had a big cross. Um, we made a new protest cross that was um, has all sorts of stuff burned into it. It's quite beautiful. It was a community project. And then it was blessed by the bishop. And we took that down to the climate strike. And just on a whim, we sort of taped a sign on the top of it. And the sign said, the earth has been crucified. Wow. And I think that's another example of this melodrama, you know, of, of protest and using our symbols uniquely to speak into something that is much bigger than we are, not even just as individuals, but as the church, you know, this is something that affects us all, but this is a symbol we can offer. And cause the earth has been crucified by us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Are you finding that there are an increasing number of people in the church that are passionate about these matters of justice? Yes, I am. But I acknowledge that I'm working in a really specific area in ministry and I think because I work with a just and because I work in ordinary saints that atta- attracts a particular type of person uh, more than others, perhaps um, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of, I'm a, in a bit of an echo chamber, uh, but I would say across the board, I still am seeing patterns of this, uh, which is deeply encouraging to me and, and many. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I've noticed. Um, and I, I think it's part of why, people have enjoyed listening to different guests on the podcast because in one way or another, all the different guests I've had have been going, actually there's things that aren't right about the world and I can be a part of shifting things. Absolutely. Um, and, and I was going to say, Andy, you're one of these people that you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. And I mean, that's been something that's, I guess, later in my development. I wasn't that passionate about this sort of stuff in my twenties, but as I've gotten older and I've realized actually the ramifications of a lot of the theology that I used to hold, that actually there are some big things going on. And, and really, you know, if if we are followers of Jesus, mm. then how could we not be passionate about people who are getting marginalized, you know, pushed aside, um, abused, uh, left out, 
and and all the stuff that goes with that, um, all the climate stuff and and that as well. So, well, the Earth is a marginalised character in this. Yeah, eh? yeah, true. And I think true. the that what you've just described is the gospel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, that's that's what drives me. I think a lot of the tension or the temptation, rather, of of being in the church is seeing the pain the church has caused. And I think that was one of the things that really weighed on me when I was ordained, actually, particularly as a priest, I really felt it was this, there was this twofold thing happening in me where I felt, it's going to sound Spiro, but I felt (laughs) the presence of the spirit. You know, I really felt hot, you know, I felt tingly like I was on fire and, and, and it was an incredible experience, but at the same time, I was, I was full of grief, and I cried, cried my eyes out, because of this burden, I guess, that is represented when I put on the collar. I'm representing an institution that has caused harm, and I'm not saying it's just caused harm. It's done a lot of good, but it's it's got a long way to go. And for me, that was the moment where I decided I love the gospel so much. And I believe in it so much that I'm willing to work in this with others to try and bring some more transformation, you know, partnering with Christ. And there are so many people on that journey. I'm just one in many, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the temptation is to walk away. You know, it's either dig your heels in or walk out. And I don't blame anyone for walking out. I really don't. And I think that's why I feel so passionate in working with people, young people especially, who are a little bit more on the margins of church life, you know, because they've become disenfranchised or they've become disillusioned with with the church. And I get it. I have all sympathy for that. Uh, And I I like to meet people in that space, not necessarily to rope them in, right? Like that's, that's not the goal but it's just to communicate and have honest conversations about the gospel and the love of God. Because I do believe that those things are worth fighting for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You said earlier about how Ordinary Saints was about having that contemplation and then that leading to action. Yeah. Um, We've talked about protests and and attending those kind of things. Um, What are some of the other practical things that you guys do as a community to support the the discussion that you're having around these social issues yeah so we do have I mean obviously it's lockdown right so there's yeah. been a few things we haven't been able to do yeah but one of the things we've committed to together is partnering with sustainable coastlines to do a beach litter audit now that sounds like a little thing but it's actually flipping awesome and I think it speaks to the fact that sometimes acts of justice are not glorious performative yeah. works they're actually just the mundane, regular, literally putting your hands into the dirt of our world and sifting through the crap, right? Like that, that's actually predominantly the work of justice. And for us, that's a really good rhythm. So we have quote unquote adopted St. Helia's Beach for our audits. And we do that regularly. And what that entails is we mark out a um, area 100 by 20 meters and we sift through everything all the sand we take a team we make a line and we go through you know there's lots of safety stuff involved and we had to be trained by um sustainable coastlines to do this and we go through and we collect it all up and then we weigh every single piece of rubbish and we categorize it and then submit it 
to uh, litter intelligence. And that information is used uh, by DOC, by uh, Ministry of the Environment, and by many others. Uh, this also goes to NASA, these scientific collections. Wow. And all of that uh, is really important in tracking where our waste goes. So how does it end up on the beaches? Which beaches is it ending up on? Where's it coming from? And it's this is done all across uh, Aotearoa, and it helps us to get a big picture of our waste and how it's accumulating. So that's that's one of the things we do, and it's hard work. Like it's it's a lot of work and it's pretty strenuous, but it's a good rhythm for us to keep continually engaged with uh, sort of the mundane acts of social of justice, of climate and social justice. Uh, rather than just the performative things, because I think that's what we're drawn to, right? Because we get some kind of glorification from it. You know, oh, look at me, I was at a protest. Oh, look at this cool picture of me at a protest. Um, You know, but it's the other things like submissions, you know, and, you know, like recently it was the, um, you know, the submissions for the select committee uh, around the uh, conversion practices bill. Yeah. So it's about that, right? It's getting in there and making submissions or combing through rubbish, that's the kind of stuff that justice requires of us. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, one of the reasons I started the podcast was because I think a lot of people don't do stuff because they think that it needs to be the big flashy, you know, or the, you know, I don't know if flashy is the right word, but you know, the big deal stuff Yeah, um, where someone amazing is doing this amazing thing that's influencing hundreds of people. <laughs> but actually, you know, going and weighing litter at the beach actually yeah. is an act of justice. It is. And so these little things that we can do. Um, I remember when I first started getting challenged on this sort of stuff, oh, maybe 12, 13 years ago now, and I was studying at the time and we lived about a block away. And I, um, I'd i started thinking about this environmental stuff and and just felt really convicted that this needed to be a part of, of how we did life. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, years later that's led to us with our business, we have fully compostable packaging and, you know, we're, um, we're trying to keep that sustainability as part of our practice. But at the time I remember walking to, to college and like just feeling really convicted if I saw a piece of rubbish on, in the gutter and didn't pick it up Yeah, and going (laughs) actually, and actually the same thing there, you know, to pick up a piece of rubbish that's on the ground and put it in a rubbish bin isn't that hard. You know, it might mean carrying it for a few hundred meters and people looking at you weird because you've picked up this piece of rubbish. So, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, Which, it's not going to get washed out to the ocean and, and kill fish. You that's know, right. Or whatever it is. So, it, ba- it baffles me, though, because people will take their dogs for a walk and hold their dogs shit. Yeah. <laughs> for like a kilometer. Yeah. <laughs> but. But you holding a chippy packet or, yeah. you know, a bottle that you found on the road, carrying that along, yeah. all of a sudden it's like, whoa, bro, yeah. calm down. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it really is the little things. Um, mm. And I love that about what, what it is that you're doing and, and the heart of, of the whole community is that actually it is about ordinary saints. You know, it's about ordinary people doing ordinary things and making a difference through that. Yeah. You're also a wife and a mum. How does family connect to all of this for you? So the great thing about Ordinary Saints is that when we were writing up our kaupapa uh, and talking about touchstones, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that it's important for our young people, like our children, to see us engaging in 
authentic faith, right? And so we made a decision really early on that children would always be welcome in our midst. Now, this is obviously because some of the people in our community, we can't say that they're necessarily going to have childcare, right? For to go spend a day cleaning the beach or, you know, going to a contemplative workshop or a creative hub, you know, we do that too, like an art workshop. They might have to bring their kid along and that's great. You know, we don't want to be a hindrance to people joining in. And we also, there's also the intergenerational thing, you know, that we're actually stronger together. And I think one of the temptations in, in young adults ministry, especially is we just kind of section them off, you know, and make them their own sort of strata, right. Within, within the church and, or just in society. Right. Um, and we don't, we don't work well together. Yeah. And I think it's there's actually something to be said about bringing the generations together in ways that are meaningful and natural, you know, yeah. and I, it really builds this feeling of whānau, um, of us all being together across across the age divides. And, yeah. you know, a lot of our events, we've had people who are beyond the quote unquote young adult age bracket. And for us, that's great, you know, yeah. because we need mentors and we need mentoring relationships yeah. and we're better together. So for us, uh, as, as a mum, um, to get back to your question, I love ordinary saints because I feel that my children are welcome and that I can be there as a member of this community, as a chaplain or whatever, but also as a mum. And I don't have to feel that kind of false divide we create for ourselves, uh, in, in these different roles, particularly in the church. So, for me, that's that's something I really love, and it also gives them an, a sort of a, an experience of church that's a bit fresh, if I can say yeah. that. It's not just your Sunday morning, and you know, don't get me wrong, I love Sunday morning and Eucharist, and I think it's really important rhythm. But um, I also think it's really important for our kids to be involved with and seeing me as a parent uh, doing stuff that's not just segmented onto that Sunday. You know that. Actually, this is something that I believe in enough to let me to, to affect my whole life and to inform the relationships I have throughout the week and yeah. <laughs> all the kinds of people that I want to engage with and all the things we do, you know, that actually this gospel thing is more than just your Sunday morning. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like you say, for the kids to be part of it and seeing, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my parents ran a youth group Bible study. And it grew and grew. And at one stage, I think there were like 60 teenagers hanging out at our house on a Friday night. Nice. <laughs> and um, and I was like seven or eight or something. And I just loved it. Yeah. You know, just being around all these teenagers and thinking they're amazing. And, you know, and they would interact with me. And yeah, it was it was just phenomenal. And and also, like we were in a quite a small church and, and um, it was full of old people. And I remember later on when my 20s, I was at a church where it was all young adults pretty much you know mm. if you're if you're 40 you were old uh, <laughs> and I just I thought it was amazing to start with I was like oh wow all these people like me and then a bit down the track I'm like man I miss old people yeah hard you out. Know, I just like the I had a, a lady who um, when I was in Sunday school uh, all the old people in our church got um, they adopted a child in the Sunday school as like a prayer grandchild That's and so, so they, they became our prayer grandparent and this it. lady, this lady prayed for me 
Um, she sent me ten dollars on my birthday without fail. Um, but from when I was like little as through to when I was twenty, she prayed for me every single day. Oh bless her! Um, and and sent me ten dollars on my birthday, and um, right up until she died. And it was like I've, I have no words for how amazing that is. You know that's something phenomenal and it's just not something you're going to get by hanging around with people that are just like you all the time. Absolutely. Um, I mean, recently, um, adjust, you know, we have been doing some filming with, uh, Reverend George Armstrong, who is in his mid to late eighties, I think. And he is one of those incredible mentors of the faith, right? Um, these, these church saints, I would say. And he, you know, we just, we've been filming his, him talking about his life and because he's one of my major influences in terms of being involved with protest and uh, social justice, as well as his wife, uh, Joyce. And so we, we spent an entire afternoon figuratively at his feet, just listening to him. And afterwards, you know, we spoke about it and it, it was just the most incredibly rich experience. And, you know, to hear his passion, his wisdom and his resilience, you know, to to stay committed to the cause for such a long time and to still be doing that. You know, he's writing a book at the moment and it's incredible to and there's so much to be gained, I think, from from not uh, siloing out uh, in terms of our age groups and actually just being open to to what it is that we can offer one another because children offer us so much as well. I always talk about children as being natural mystics, you know, that they have this incredible innate ability to, to talk about faith and to talk about life and everything in such an open and natural and mystical way. Yeah. <laughs> and we lose that ability. And I think it's magical really. And so for us to engage children in spaces of faith is just incredible it's such a gift and I think we also assume that children can't grapple with big spiritual ideas yeah and that's not true I think that especially when we talk about ritual and tradition because I'm a big fan of liturgy I don't think that you know getting rid of the the robes and getting rid of the Eucharist and getting rid of you know the chalice and all of that stuff is is I think it's kind of pointless to be honest um, because it's, it's passed down through an ancient spiritual lineage and it's good stuff. You know, we just have to re-engage with it authentically. I think that's the problem is when our ritual becomes routine um, rather than meaning something. Which actually happens in every church, regardless of whether it's traditional or not. I think liturgy can mean anything, right? Whether that's with robes or with a, worship yep. band you Two know songs three slow yeah. songs and in, in a sermon yeah <laughs> exactly and I think children you know in the context of traditional liturgy the assumption is they don't they're not interested or they can't be involved that's so not true you know my um my kids have been involved in services in traditional spaces um particularly at St Luke's and Mount Albert which is a small Anglican church and they love it you know they're all in for it and you know they'll help take the elements up to the altar or they'll, you know, stand for the hymns and sing with me or, and they'll come up and they'll look forward to quote unquote picnic with Jesus, which is, you know, communion (laughs) and they'll light a candle, you know, in the, um, 
in the little sand tray and say a prayer and they're all into it you know it's it's because they see us doing it you know and there's no children's there's no um sunday school there the kids are in for the whole service and they're part of it and you know so i think we assume that kids can't do this stuff you know or they can't engage with it and the reality is they teach us how to engage really (laughs) yeah um last topic i want to touch on uh and it's something i'm really passionate about is creativity uh yeah through through the podcast i've interviewed photographers poets painters you know a whole bunch of different people because i think for me it's so easy for creativity and and the arts to end up being something that is separate from our faith oh amen Um, to that yeah and and yet you named it before as one of the four key parts of your community yeah it's one of Um, our touchstones yeah so so what is it about creativity for you that made you go hey actually this is like one of our touchstones so to take it back historically this isn't new um totally (laughs) yeah the, we've just done it. We're just doing a contemplative series at the moment, and the first one we did was we looked at visio divina, you know, this uh, divine seeing or encountering God through art. Now, this is old school. This is not new, you know. I, and I, I like to track it right back to the parables. You know, Jesus is is hanging out with whoever, and he's talking about stuff that is immediately in front of people. You know, whether that's plants or the vineyard or you know, people tending to their flocks or, you know, he's using immediate imagery that is around us all the time and using it to draw deeper spiritual meaning. That's a type of divine seeing. And I think that's early on, but we see it through the history of the church as it develops, you know, with our stained glass windows, um, particularly in the Orthodox tradition, you know, iconography, praying with, with images of the saints or with, you know, Jesus or Mother Mary or whoever. And this is all, I mean, iconography has been described as, you know, window, windows into heaven, this idea of gazing into the divine and having it gaze back at us. And so the use of art in church history to communicate ideas of faith is not new. It's ancient, actually. Um, and I think it's, I personally am very passionate about this uh, as a printmaker, <laughs> um, but actually it's not just about the fact that it's in our tradition, it's prophetic work. Art has a way of speaking to us in ways that goes beyond words. And it becomes not about convincing someone about an idea. It's about opening the door to a new idea. And I think the opportunity for art in ministry and it's just in general in our world is is enormous and I think I feel very passionately about creativity being something that we actually encourage a lot more in ministry uh and I would love to see that happen so yeah we we do a lot of that in ordinary science uh we have a creative hub if it wasn't locked down uh once a month where we just all get together and have a whole bunch of art and craft supplies and we just go for it uh, and just create together which is incredible experience we also do we on our retreat we actually did a creative retreat uh, which was our first retreat where we did a whole bunch of stuff Uh, we had an iconography workshop we did mosaics uh, we did prayer bead making (laughs) um, painting you know anything people wanted to do creatively they could bring along and do it 
Yeah. So, and part of my offering, I I have a website, www.busiolectio.com, where I create a print or a piece of art for each Sunday, uh, the gospel reading that corresponds to each Sunday during, you know, according to the Revised Common Lectionary, which is the shared sort of readings that a lot of Christians use across the world. And for me, that taps me into that rhythm of the lectionary and the shared life we have as a little C Catholic church. And for me, that's incredible, but it also gives me an opportunity to start a conversation. Um, And I provide this artwork free so churches can use it for free. They can download it in high res. Uh, It's an offering because it's something that I love to do as a spiritual practice. But I also thought, hey, if others can use it, that's cool too. It's part of this Physio Divina idea that, you know, we use art to help draw out deeper meaning. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I just love everything you said then. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, bro. I'm, I'm super passionate about that that as well. Yeah. That actually, I think the church threw many babies out with bathwater. Agreed. Um, art being a huge part of that. And we are all somehow inherently creative, whether we're doing that through business or through painting or whatever. Yeah, there's so many ways to be creative, but we are created to be creative. Oh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for, um, yeah, just inspiring us around uh, social justice, around how that connects with faith and so much more. Um, and thank you for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Oh, thanks, mate. It's been a real honour to be here and I'm very humbled that you are. So thanks a lot for having me. Hello, hello heaven Will I hear you whisper to come near What a full and rich corridor. Sarah basically articulates the heart of this podcast throughout this episode. Ordinary people doing what they can with what they have to make a difference in the world, even if it's really, really ordinary. And in doing so, bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. If you're interested in what they get up to with Ordinary Saints, check them out on Instagram or listen to their Ordinary Saints podcast and I'll put the links for both of those in the show notes. I'll also link to Sarah's art pages so you can check out her work and even support it by buying some if you like it. Sarah, thanks so much for sharing yourself with us. Here is a blessing for you. Sarah, As you follow the path that has drawn you to a life of serving both God and people, may that path be the most interesting of adventures, with joyous surprises around every corner and tricky terrain made easier by those with whom you travel. May you continue to befriend those who live differently, believe differently and love differently to you, and may those relationships enrich not only your life, but the lives of all those to whom you are connected, bringing colour, learning empathy and embrace. As you peacefully but actively call attention to our ill treatment of the earth, may you feel your feet secure on the shoulders of the many prophets before you who took a stand for what was needed in their day, those who were misunderstood and even mistreated, but who gave their life to something far beyond themselves. May your hands continue to reach into the dirt, sifting through the crap for the sake of goodness. And may this continue to ground you, reminding you of who you are and why you are, and acting as a symbol of hope for that which is yet to come. 
May your creativity continue to flourish and grow, surprising you as you let what is inside flow out. And may many be blessed by what you present to the world, something of far more value than words alone, an invitation into something new, something ancient, something comforting, something challenging, something healing. And lastly, may your children grow to know the faith, hope and love that drives their mum. That it would surround them and hold them and drive them to, that they might do even greater things than these. Thanks again to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to youth worker and pioneer Jay Geldard. We talk about his work with youth and the 24-7 network, his transformational sabbatical and the new movement that he's founded to take on New Zealand's tall poppy syndrome. A big man with a huge heart. You won't want to miss this one. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei, e taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Mūroa o hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga, e hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea, kia whakawaia Engari whakorangia mātou, 